This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio. We're also on Amazon Music. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from Gridiron Battlezone, Brian King. We're joined by a special guest tonight, former wrestler. He's a world tag team champion with William Regal in the WWE. He's had 14 tag team title reigns and 14 individual title reigns in various wrestling organizations across the country. In 2004, PWI ranked him number 21 out of the top 500 singles wrestlers. He's been known as Special really? E. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I didn't even know that. I'm going to start bragging about that one. There you go. He's been known as Special E, Mr. Wrestling, the doctor, most notably Eugene in the WWE. It's Nick Dinsmore. Nick, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, I, I got to change one little thing. You said I'm a former wrestler. I'm still wrestling. I'm currently wrestling. I might be a former WWE superstar, but I have matches all around the world. I've been up and down. I've been town to town. I've been coast to coast like Butter and Toast. I've been Kalamazoo, Kathmandu, Timbuktu, Rancho Cucamonga, and Lake Titicaca. And I know two things for sure. Eugene can still run with the best of them, and I'm excited to be here with you guys today. All right. Awesome. Well, tonight's the Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Tonight's debate is the most shocking moment in wrestling history. So we, uh, Brian and I narrowed it down to our four. We're going to discuss them all. We'll get Eugene's thoughts on them. And uh, we're going to start out with Brian talking about the streak. All right, the Undertaker streak. So 1991, the Undertaker defeated Jimmy Superfly Schnooka at WrestleMania, and it began one of the coolest winning streaks in sports history. Uh, with the exception of two years, 1994 and 2000, because of injury, every year you could count on The Undertaker to win at WrestleMania. During the streak, he wasn't facing jobbers or anything like that. He took on legends uh, like Jake the Snake, King Kong Bundy, Kane, Ric Flair, Randy Orton, Shawn Michaels twice, Triple H three times, and the A-Train and Big Show at the same time. It seemed that this streak would last forever. Uh, after all, you know, how could the dead man lose after winning 21 consecutive matches? So now, don't get me wrong, there would be chatter out there each time before WrestleMania, does the streak end this time? But none of the diehards truly believed it. I mean, there was a couple of hints about what was about to happen at WrestleMania, at WrestleMania 30, though. After a UFC match in 2010, Undertaker vaguely asked Brock Lesnar, you want to do it? And we kind of all thought maybe that might mean something. Well, apparently, Vince McMahon made the decision the morning before Undertaker's match at WrestleMania versus Lesnar, and the match shocked us all. 25 minutes into the match, it was Lesnar with the pin and the win. The crowd was utterly shocked. Surprise faces were seen throughout the crowd. Lesnar's theme music finally came on like a couple minutes later, and then it was officially over for The Undertaker. Uh, just absolute shock. I mean, people maybe thought they saw it coming, but it, it you know, they had been repeated year after year. When it finally happened, it still shocked everybody. 21 yeah, and 1. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a, a blind prostitute. You, you never saw it coming, but you forgot about Nathan Jones. You can't forget about Nathan Jones. He was a big guy. Um, I was actually in the arena. I was a coach at the time, WrestleMania 30 in New Orleans. My wife and I, David Flair, had, had a couple seats, so we went and sat. And it's the only really one of the only times that I've ever been at Mania in the crowd. 
And that was the match that I saw. And just like you said, like the whole the air got sucked out of the building. And it was like they didn't believe it. The match after, I think it was a girl's six-man or girl's eight-man or something. And the people were still booing. They were upset. People didn't like the decision, but I thought it was great. Because who else Who else would have beat The Undertaker? Nobody. Well, I kind of agree with The Undertaker, though. Your thoughts on this? Why not lose it to someone that it could make? Brock was already made. Who, who, but, but who's that going to be? Who, who, who was on the roster was going to be on the roster that was going to draw money? Nobody. You, you could bring the Rock back and drop the get people by the Rock, but who? I mean, that's great. But who's that really help? You got to you know that that solidified Brock as a main event, top tier, above everybody else star. I, I thought he should have lost it to Bray Wyatt. That was my personal opinion, but you know, so I, I thought Eugene myself, but they didn't like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to CM Punk, the pipe bomb here. So June 27th, 2011, the most memorable promo in wrestling history. Punk breaks the fourth wall. Um, this is, in my opinion, this was crucial. It kind of helped kick off the reality era um, of wrestling. Uh, the speech got so good that they actually cut the mic and shut it down. Um, instead of telling you about it, I'm just going to add in the clip. Uh, uh, of, of what he said. Cena speared. John Cena, while you, you lay there, hopefully as uncomfortable as you possibly can be, I want you to listen to me. I want you to digest this because before I leave in three weeks with your WWE Championship, I have a lot of things I want to get off my chest. I don't hate you, John. I don't even dislike you. I do like you. I like you a hell of a lot more than I like most people in the back. I hate this idea that you're the best. Because you're not. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world. There's one thing you're better at than I am. And that's kissing Vince McMahon's ass. You're as good as kissing Vince's ass as Hulk Hogan was. I don't know if you're as good as Dwayne, though. He's a pretty good ass kisser. Always was and still is. Oops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. I am the best wrestler in the world. I've been the best ever since day one when I walked into this company and I've been vilified and hated since that day because Paul Heyman saw something in me that nobody else wanted to admit. That's right, I'm a Paul Heyman guy. You know who else was a Paul Heyman guy? Brock Lesnar. And he split, just like I'm splitting, but the biggest difference between me and Brock is I'm going to leave with the WWE Championship. I've grabbed so many of Vincent K. McMahon's imaginary brass rings that it's finally dawned on me that they're just that, they're completely imaginary. 
The only thing that's real is me and the fact that day in and day out for almost six years I have proved to everybody in the world that I am the best on this microphone, in that ring, even at commentary. Nobody can touch me. And yet, no, how many, no matter how many times I prove it, I'm not on your lovely little collector cups. I'm not on the cover of the program. I'm barely promoted. I don't get to be in movies. I'm certainly not on any crappy show on the USA Network. I'm not on the poster of WrestleMania. I'm not in the signature that's produced at the start of the show. I'm not on Conan O'Brien, I'm not on Jimmy Fallon, but the fact of the matter is I should be, and trust me, this isn't sour grapes, but the fact that Dwayne is in the main event of WrestleMania next year and I'm not makes me sick. Oh, and hey, let, let me get something straight. Those of you who are cheering me right now, you are just the biggest part of me leaving as anything else. Because you're the ones that are sipping out of those collector cups right now. You're the ones that buy those programs that my face isn't on the cover of. And then at 5 in the morning at the airport, you try to shove it in my face so you can get an autograph and try to sell it on eBay because you're too lazy to go get a real job. I'm leaving with the WWE Championship on July 17th, and hell, who knows, maybe I'll go defend it in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Maybe I'll go back to Ring of Honor. Hey, Colt Cabana, how you doing? The reason I'm leaving is you people, because after I'm gone, you're still going to pour money into this company. I'm just a spoke on the wheel. The wheel's going to keep turning, and I understand that. But Vince McMahon's gonna make money despite himself. He's a millionaire who should be a billionaire. You know why he's not a billionaire? It's because he surrounds himself with glad-handing, nonsensical yes-men like John Laurinaitis, who's gonna tell him everything that he wants to hear. And I'd like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead, but the fact is, it's, it's gonna get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. Let me tell you a personal story about Vince McMahon, all right? Do we do this whole bully camp? Eugene, your, your thoughts on the pipe bomb, um, you know, he mentions Colt Cabana, comments about Vince McMahon, and then they cut him right off when he was going to go into the bullying campaign. What were your thoughts on that promo? So, I disagree that it was one of the most important promos of all time, because what were the ratings for it? What did it really draw? What happened was, all the WWE guys now are given somewhat of a script to go out and say word for word. Very few people are giving the mic and say cut a promo, and he got to do that, and it was different. But I like CM Punk, but he's, he's in my opinion, he's always constantly had like a chip on his shoulder and had something to prove, and, and it got a lot of media buzz, but what happened after that? I mean, he wrestled Cena a couple times, and then what? You know, it, it didn't, in my opinion, it didn't skyrocket him to the top. If it would have, then he could have been a guy that beat The Undertaker. You know what I mean? Yeah. Good point, yeah, great point. Now, now I, I've never said this totally, totally a lot, but I remember back in my day, kid, before the internet, 
you had to see the wrestling magazines at the grocery store. And CM Punk was on, as, as a newcomer, was on every one of the wrestling magazines. Rumor has it, and this is just rumor, you didn't hear it from me, okay? But he uh, uh, had a very good friend that might have been a lady that was in the editing department of the magazine, and he was constantly being promoted there. When he got to OVW, he had Paul Heyman in his corner, constantly preaching him up and preaching him up. I remember wrestling for OVW one time in Louisville, CM Punk and Brent Albright would tear down the house because all the fans knew who they were. We went to Indianapolis, which is an hour and a half away that didn't get the TV. It was crickets because nobody knew who he was. I feel that the promotion and the machine has gotten behind CM Punk so much that that boosted him a star. But for some reason, he's always had that chip on his shoulder that he's got to do better. Is it because he's not as good as the hype? I don't know. That's interesting. It could be. Because it seems like it seems like an age group of guys a bit younger than me that absolutely adore him and love him. And I think that's great for wrestling. But I like him, but I never saw the intrigue. I saw a little bit, but to be that superstar Brock Lesnar type status, I didn't see it. I like him, and that's not a knock. You know, if he wants to fight, I'll fight him in the middle of an AEW ring anytime. <laughs> well, let's move on to uh, just another shocking moment. Shane on WCW. All right. So we go back to March 26, 2001. Uh, you know, the rumors were that WWE was close to a deal to purchase the WCW. Um, this was a huge prospect because it would bring – you know, Sting and Hogan back to the WWE. Uh, it would eliminate WWE's biggest competition. Uh, this was like if Walmart were to buy Target or Home Depot were to buy Lowe's. I mean, this was just a huge thing, you know. So Monday Night Raw, first you see Vince McMahon in the center of the ring with the mic. He's talking trash about he's, how he's very close to finalizing the deal to purchase WCW with Ted Turner. And then you hear Shane McMahon's theme music. All right, what the heck is going on? Then you see Shane on the big screen. So everyone is wondering, like, what is this? What is this? Most of all, Vince, who's just got this utterly stunned look on his face. And then the announcer says, where's Shane? You, know, you, you, have his, you have his music up here. Where is he at? Well, then you see Shane stepping into a ring somewhere. And holy crap, you realize he's on WCW's Nitro. I mean, this is like seeing Brett Favre in, in a Vikings jersey. Or, or just something crazy. You don't expect to see this. So he grabs the mic and he explains that the deal is done. The contract's been signed. You know, Vince seems to maybe be a little bit relieved. Shane tells him, you know, the name McMahon is on the contract. But then he drops the bomb. The name signed at the bottom of the page is Shane McMahon. And so that kicks off a huge rivalry, a huge thing. And, and everybody was pretty shocked about this. So we, we all know it was a work. But, yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. I, I think if this would have happened 20 years ago, it would have been an enormous shock. But because the Internet and there were rumors and leaks, and when it boiled down to it, it wasn't WCW versus WWE. It was the plot between the McMahons and how they're controlling wrestling. It was shocking. Yes, I thought it was more shocking when Scott Hall showed up on, 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 on Nitro. Because that was a time when he just jumped around. So I just saw this guy on WWE. What's going on? That shocked me more. But again, that was uh, still, it, the internet was around, but it was a little bit pre-big internet. Um, and it essentially killed any kind of competition in wrestling. You know, I, I wasn't a huge, I mean, I like the buyout, but the way the story folded out, 
I understood it because if it was your company, you'd want to keep the people that are closest to you in the key parts so they don't up and leave like other guys have done. Right. So when you talk about the new Midnight Express attacking the original Midnight Express, that was shocking right there. When 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 they ripped somebody's mask off, when, when a mask used to really mean something or shave somebody's head, you know, kind of stuff was, was shocking right there. But you knew Vince was going to buy it anyway. And if Shane buys it instead of Vince, really, I mean, what's, what's the big surprise? Right. Well, let's move on to our final one tonight. That's the Montreal Screwjob. If you're watching the show, I'm sure you know the Montreal Screwjob, so I don't have to get into a lot of detail what occurred. But it was what Survivor happened? Series. Yeah. <laughs> Survivor Series, November 9th, 1997, HBK versus Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, you know, I'll just point out some huge things that happened that you can't see anymore because most of the video has been deleted out there. Um, the spitting on Vince McMahon by Brett Hart is still on there. Um, you know, HBK screwed Brett over. It was really Vince McMahon screwing Brett over. Um, he used, Brett used his hand to write WCW. That was the Hart, one. Yep. That's Hart. the one right there. He wrote it backwards. Yeah. How, how, how does he know, like, in the moment? I mean, Brett's an artist, so maybe he does know, but he wrote WCW backwards. And they use the, the spitting in the face at the open of the uh, live events all the time, so that's always out there. And Vince is not a guy that you know, wants to look bad like that, but he put it out there. I don't know if it was a work or not. I mean, if, if it was, it was a good one, but Vince is a businessman, and he's got this much to pay Bret Hart, and he knows if WCW is going to give him X amount more, take it because you get a two- or three-year deal, you come back, and then you and Sean are off to the races. So I don't know how contrived it was because I've sat with Brett and talked about it, and he, he, he preaches that, you know, he, he knew nothing about it, but I don't know. It's, it's Those two guys would be two guys that would keep kayfabe to the grave. You know what I mean? Right. Kevin Nash said it was a work, like in his opinion, like a great work. I think Scott Hall agreed with that as well. It, it's it's hard to say. It really is. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't have the answer. But it, that, that was that was probably one of the most shocking things right there was just to see on focus when you can catch the people where they're going, hey, wait a minute. I, I know this wrestling isn't on the up and up, but what just happened right there? That's when you got them. And then the aftermath is Bret Hart goes backstage and Vince McMahon goes into his locker room and. Brett gets the punch heard around the world in and knocks Vince out. So, I mean, that adds into it, too. I mean, was, was, was that a work as well? I mean, we just... I mean, come on. If you know somebody's upset with you and you know they're going to hit you, Vince might be the guy to just stand there and take it. But you're not going to... You know, you got a, a crowd of guys around him as his body handlers. And that was in a locker room. Is that is, is that punch on video anywhere? He did have a black eye afterwards. Yeah, black, well, I can give myself a black eye, but I don't think that, that's been on video anywhere. If it's yeah. not on video, it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me ask you, you, your standpoint as a wrestler, if you had been working there and that occurred, I know they gave everybody the option of working the next night or not. What would your thought, would, would you have worked or, or what do you think? Of course, of course. Brett was in the wrong. I can't lose in Canada. Well, they were just in Detroit a couple days before. You know, in this business, you go out, you, you get beat, you, you make somebody, elevate somebody on your way out. You don't hold the title like, oh, no, I'm the best champion. I'll just turn it over to you. I mean, get real. Right. Well, let's and, if, and if, Bret, if Bret Hart wants to have a fight, I'll have an arm wrestling match with him at WrestleMania anytime. <laughs> let's, let's move into our vote. Brian, who are you taking? You can take any of them tonight. Uh, I, I, I'm still... 
I'm still shocked by the uh, by the Montreal screw job. I mean, that was uh, that opened my eyes to the business. So, 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 did you realize that was the second Montreal screw job? That wasn't yeah. even the first one. I don't know what year it was. I believe it was Luthez. I could be wrong, but world champion went in and had a match against the French Canadian. And back then, uh, title matches were two out of three falls. And if you got disqualified, that you could lose the title. So the match was three, two out of three falls, one and one. And the referee was in on it. And the, the guy from uh, uh, Canada bit himself in the arm. And then he showed the ref, he bit me. And ref rang the bell and, and they stole the belt that way. Now that's why we have the rule that title can't change hands on a DQ. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's that. interesting. Huh. Well, for me, I, I'm actually I, I'm gonna I'm gonna vote um, I'm gonna vote Shane on WCW, and I have a reason for it. The screw job. I mean, people knew Hart's contract was up, so something was gonna happen one way or another. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, everybody knew WCW was going to be sold, but up until like that last moment, everybody thought Bischoff was buying it. So I was, I was shocked by the moment. I knew at the beginning of Raw that night when Vince was like, oh, I have a huge announcement. I knew he, mm -hmm. he had bought it, but I didn't know that beforehand. So seeing Shane on WCW was pretty shocking to me. Eugene, of the four moments we talked tonight, which one's your most shocking moment? Well, I mean, we, we, we glazed on the, the Razor showing up on Nitro. I, I think that's the most shocking. But of those four, I think probably the screw job had the biggest impact. Because after that, I mean, that, that, that turned Vince to a full-fledged heel. Did you ever see the promos Vince did as a heel for Memphis before, before any of that? I haven't seen he, that. He, else, yeah, he, he cut promos on Jerry Lawler on Memphis TV to get practice being a heel. And he was the Mr. McMahon character. I mean, huh. he, 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 knew, he knew he was going somewhere with it. That makes me even think even more it was a work. <laughs> All right. So a win for the Montreal Screwjob. Let's move into our Q&A tonight. Brian, go ahead. Well, uh, Nick, you, you wrestled in a couple of matches I found very interesting. Um, you know, you continued the tradition of the, you know, the Doink the Clown on SmackDown 2003 versus uh, Chris Benoit. And then you, uh, in 2007, you had a six-man tag team match uh, versus Kane and Dork, or uh, with Kane and Doink as partners. So can you uh, tell us a little bit about those two matches? Um, I was in the developmental in, in Louisville at the time, and they needed a Doink for, uh, which one came for? I guess it was the, the pay-per-view, JBL Barroom Brawl. No, I didn't do that. I was a conquistador there. I don't remember which one was the first one where I was doing. But basically, they just needed a Doink. And for some yeah. reason, Brooklyn Brawler couldn't do it. Which, what was it? That was uh, Chris Benoit. I, I wrestled Benoit first as Doink, and then I came back. I, read, I did Doink twice. I can't remember the second one. I remember going to SmackDown, and they're like, you know, they knew Nick Dinsmore was a good wrestler. They wanted to see Nick Dinsmore against Benoit, and they were like, okay, you got 20 minutes on SmackDown. And I'm going, Doink hasn't been on TV in 20 years, and you want Doink to go 20 minutes toe-to-toe -to -toe with one of the best guys in the company at the time? So then a couple minutes later, you got 15 minutes, right? An hour later, you, you, you got 10 minutes. I, we had 90 seconds, which is what it was supposed to be, you know? But it was just, it was something fun. I remember it was in Colorado because I did uh, did the paper for you, and then I think I did SmackDown maybe after that or vice versa, some, something like that. But I, I did Doink twice. I, I enjoyed it. I, I think Doink needs to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. I mean, Doink is a character that's instantly recognizable. He's always over. The fans love him. He brings smiles to faces. And they could franchise a whole bunch of Doinks now. And I that's think true. everybody that played Doink should get in the Hall of Fame. And I was number six. Wow. <laughs> nice. 
So you used a, a bridging German suplex for a while as your finisher early on. When you got to uh, WWE and you became the Eugene character, you were kind of using other people's finishers as part of the gimmick. I get that. Was it WWE said you had to change that, change your finisher, or what, what was the deal with that? No, I just – the other moves got better reactions. You know, when I was in Louisville, I, I built the German suplex as a finish, and the people bought it. But plus, the guys that were in Louisville weren't as big as the guys in WWE. So I needed something I could give to, you know, A-Train or Schnitzky the same that I could give to Nunzio. You know what I mean? Okay. Makes sense. And, uh, in 2009, you were able to join the Hulkamania tour, tour in Australia. What do you remember about that, and what were the Aussie fans like? Australian fans are always awesome. All the fans outside the U.S., not that the fans in the U.S. are bad, but it's just different outside the U.S. They have different chants, different energy. And Australia is one of my favorite places to go. You know, I was lucky enough. We did four dates over, like, nine days. So we had a day off in between. They put us up in the best hotels. I mean, it was, it was, it was summer there when it was winter here. I mean, it was brilliant. I remember one day we're all out at the pool, and I'm like, we're all taking pictures. I'm, I'm in the pool standing next to the Hulkster taking a picture, man. I, I was on cloud nine. It was awesome. Awesome. So you had – I thought you had amazing chemistry with William Regal. Um, you guys got a, a World Tag Team Championship with that. I was hoping maybe you could just kind of discuss, like, did you guys get along as well off camera as it seemed that you guys got along on camera? Absolutely. We, we ended up riding together. We became really good friends. You know, I, I looked up to, to – uh, uh, Lord Stephen Regal back in WCW, but uh, Rip Rogers helped train me. Rip and Regal were partners and friends. They Rip Rogers was the guy that brought Regal to the United States. Now, he's the one that got him his job with WCW. So he and I knew each other, but then to be able to ride with him and just pick his brain. So it was it was myself, it was uh, uh, Regal, and then Tajiri in the car. And if you could ever imagine Barnum and Bailey Circus on wheels, it was nonstop comedy because you know. Regal can speak English, but sometimes people couldn't quite understand his accent. So Jerry can speak English, but he always acted like he didn't. So Eugene was usually the one driving, and it was it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, for your character, Eugene, you know, you kind of portrayed a uh, intellectually challenged guy. Um, you know, and what is I want to know what inspired that character, and did you ever experience any backlash from the fans who sort of misunderstood what you were trying to do there? So I started wrestling in 1996. I got hired by WWE in 99 to a developmental contract. Eugene debuted in 2004. By the time 2004 rolled around, I could wrestle one hour straight, not use the same hold twice. I was very proficient, efficient in professional wrestling, but I didn't have that character. Rip mm -hmm. Rogers' son has uh, autism, and this kid's brilliant. I mean, he can count in Korean. He can do all the stuff on computers, but he wasn't very social when he got to school. So Rip was the one that gave me the idea what about a Rain Man character that's, you know, the minute the bell rings, he can do everything that he's ever seen on TV. He know, the One part that we never really got to but was he, he knows all the history, all the facts, all the trivia, and, and can pull it up like that. Um, and I remember I always tell the guys that I train now, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Because guys will say, oh, I got this great idea, but they might tell somebody and it just kind of goes away. I just kept plugging away. The agents came down. Arn Anderson, Malenko, Fit. I pitched the idea, and they said, well, WWE's kind of gone beyond that. Wrestling doesn't do that kind of gimmicky stuff anymore. Okay. A couple months later, the writers came down, so I pitched it to the writers. Oh, no, no, Vince would never do that. Vince, he doesn't want to do that kind of stuff. Okay. So I had seen people complain, 
and then end up, you know, getting called up or getting a raise. So I told my, my friend Doug Basham, I said, Doug, I think I'm going to quit and try to go to Japan. I didn't know anybody in Japan. I didn't know if I could get there. I had no intention of quitting because I was working four days a week living at home. Doug told Johnny Ace. Johnny Ace tells Vince. Next thing I know, I'm sitting in a meeting with Vince McMahon and Stephanie. And this was about eight months to a year after Rip gave me the idea. And the idea was kind of knocking around. I'd almost forgotten about it when Vince goes, I want to get back to character-based wrestling. And I just pitched out this character. He goes, great, we'll start on Monday. Nice. What happened was, uh, it was one of the last times Austin was there, when I was there, Austin walks into Vince's uh, room, and uh, Vince goes, Steve, have you ever seen this guy wrestle? Austin goes, no, no, I don't think so. Uh, I knew that Steve Austin and my other trainer, Nightmare Danny Davis, were friends from the Dallas days. I said, well, Danny Davis trained me, and Austin goes, well, then he's probably one of the best. And it was like that vote of confidence that, you know, pushed Vince over the top to, let's see what he has to do. But I think I think the WWE did not think it would work. I felt like sometimes they give guys a character, and if, it's, if it works, great. If not, well, we gave you a shot, and you end up getting fired. You know what I mean? You see guys debut. You know, uh, I, I love Kizarni, but Kizarni was on TV for two weeks, and it just fizzled out. But because I had so much experience, and I would wrestled for almost 10 years at that point, every time they gave me just a, a little bit of something to do on TV, I made it memorable. And the fans started showing up with signs. The ratings started going up. When I did the Jericho highlight reel with uh, Regal and Triple H came down, that was the highest rated segment on Raw for the previous two and a half years. Wow. Jericho was the one that told me that. And it was just uh, the big plus I had was that the writer, Brian, Brian Gerwick, could write for Eugene. And I tell my guys now, you know, you got to have the look, you got to be able to talk, but you got to have a writer that can write for you. If you don't have a writer that can write for you, it doesn't matter who you are. The uh, uh, Brian Gerwick even wrote a movie for Eugene. Oh, wow. Have you ever seen Big Show's movie, Knucklehead? I have, yes. That's, that's Eugene's movie. Wow. It makes know. more sense now, right? A kid trying to, you know, an orphan kid trying to break into wrestling. Yeah. Huh. So, so um, I don't even know if you know this or not. Um, so you're a 10-time champion, obviously, in OBW, heavyweight champion. But who's counting, right? Who's counting? <laughs> that's the most all-time. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but all right, that's awesome. Yeah, so I just, yeah, I wanted to hear, like, your thoughts on that. I, I mean, when you went back, they gave you that 10th that one. I mean, that that is a record that still stands today. I mean, in 2022 here, that that's pretty impressive. Your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I, it's great. It's awesome. You're right. It's impressive. But, you know, at the time when I started wrestling with OVW, it was just, I wanted to be wrestling for WWE, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't know that I'll ever make it because it was just a, a dream that was so far away. I was still going to college at the time. I went to, I graduated from Indiana, and I was just wrestling. Cornette and Danny Davis and Rip Rogers were kind of writing TV, so it was just, it just kept happening. You know, I stayed around, I won a title, and it's not, looking back now, it's, it's awesome, but at the time, you just really don't think about it because you're thinking about the next match, the next town, you know, what, what, what am I doing today type thing. Right. Oh, go ahead, Brian. One more. Yeah. What? Well, you see behind me, I got the, I got Eugene and the Rock here. Uh, you know, Rock was the only guy who sort of stuck up for you there uh, early on. So, can, can you tell us what your relationship was uh, is like with the Rock? Oh, me and me and the Rock are pretty much best friends. We're, we're such good friends that he lets me call him Dewey. <laughs> that's, Actually, that's no. I, 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 I heard that he hates that name, but it, it's always a joke. For me, hopefully he doesn't get mad and give me a rock bottom. No, he was super cool. Him and Brian Gerwick are good friends. Brian Gerwick wrote most of the rock stuff. 
and Brian, uh, we were in San Diego at the time. Rock was in L.A. filming a movie. They asked him to come down and help out somebody that he'd never met, that he didn't know. And Rock's the type guy for the business, reached down and pulled somebody up. And that's what you're supposed to do. And I'm forever thankful to him because without that 15-minute segment, I wouldn't have been as big a star as – Eugene wouldn't have been as big a star as he was. So WWE, I mean, it's basically a monopoly. But AEW is coming on strong now. Do you see at any point in the future anyone catching WWE and any plugs you want to make uh, after you answer that is more than welcome? I mean, wrestling's so weird. You never know. You didn't think WCW would, would ever go away. And it wasn't as, – as, as much as people critique the product, it wasn't the product that killed WCW. It was the fact that they didn't want it on their TV channel. So if, if something comes along one day, and although they have their own network, but if, if one of the channels says, oh, we're not going to do wrestling anymore. Then what do you do? I mean, you can go online now, but it's just it was it was WCW kind of got a raw deal. Everybody says Bischoff killed WCW. No, Bischoff Bischoff made more money in professional wrestling in one year than anybody ever has. So right. uh, I don't I don't think WWE will ever go away. But sometimes there could be some freak, you know, something happen because heaven forbid Vince pass away, but eventually that will happen. And then if you got a con conglomerate of corporate people trying to run a wrestling program. Sometimes it, it doesn't work out. And I think AEW is doing great. You know, they're, they're, they're building and they're building. Um, I, WCW has such a worldwide footprint that it will be, it will take a while, I think, to catch that. But I think WCW, or AEW absolutely could. I mean, if Eugene was on AEW, I know but they would get to the top of the ratings like that. <laughs> Anything you want to plug? Um, I got a Twitter. At U-G-E-N-E, Dinsmore, D-I-N-S-M-O-R-E. I like my uh, YouTube channel, The Nick Dinsmore YouTube. Still accepting bookings. I'm traveling around. I keep telling everybody I'm on a retirement tour. And everybody's like, oh, you're retiring. I said, no, 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 it's just a retirement tour. Handsome Jimmy Valiant was on a retirement tour for 15 years. Kiss has been on a retirement tour for 12 years. Somebody goes, somebody goes well, when, when does the retirement tour end? I said, when I have out my last match. There you go. There you go. People can find me and still book me. I'm, I'm venturing into, I don't like to call it stand-up comedy because I, I don't, I, that's big shoes for me to fill to think I'm a stand-up comic. I'm, a, I'm more of a sit-down comic working my way to stand-up and tell some wrestling stories and have a good time. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nick Dinsmore, for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on. And All right, uh, guys. everybody check out his stuff. You can also probably buy that stuff in his background there. So uh, look him up. And, uh, let's Let me see what we got here, man. I got, I got a whole box, a, a case from Jack Specific of these. I got a, a, a eBay, eBay channel, the letter U-G-E-N-E Dinsmore. I got my eBay. Got all kinds of action figures. You know the best part about having your own action figure? You get to play with yourself in public. <laughs> awesome everybody make sure you hit that subscribe button we'll see you next time thanks for watching have a great night thank you guys yeah.